Amen. All right, we're ready for Daniel here this morning. If you would turn with me to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3 here this morning. If you've been gone, if you're here for the first time, we're going through uh, a series called Surviving and Thriving in an Ungodly Culture. And I want to invite you to go ahead and listen to the last two messages that we've preached over the last two weeks. And we entitled our first message called The Decision. And uh, I, I encourage you to hear about it. I hadn't preached uh, in over a month, and it, w- it was a longer sermon. I was loaded. Not, I wasn't just uh, preaching a long sermon because I hadn't preached in a long time, but there was a lot to cover. But it was out of that chapter right there, which I believed uh, that the decision that the Hebrews made, those who were godly, those who were living for God, made it made a very important decision that really changed the direction of their lives. And then last week, we looked at the message, which we called the deliverance in chapter 2. But today, we're going to be in two different chapters here today, Daniel chapter 3 and also Daniel chapter 6. when you uh, Has anybody been reading the book by any chance? If you haven't read the book of Daniel, I want to encourage you to read it by next week. There's 12 chapters there. Uh, in the first uh, six chapters, it's basically, it's historical. Uh, it talks about what happened in a time of history, and it's backed up by other historians uh, and some great events that happened there. But not only is it a historical book, but it's also a prophetical book. In chapters 7 through 12, it talks about the future. It talks about coming events. In fact, when you look at the Bible, which is really interesting, about a third of the Bible is prophetical. Uh, it, It talks about the future, and it talks about coming events. And so it's not just about what happened in the Bible, but it's going to be talking about what's going to be happening in the future. And why does God spend uh, the word about a third of the Bible talking about future events? Why does God want to let us know, give us clues about the future? I want you to write down a couple of wor- words. Uh, he, wants to, he wants to give us uh, some clues, not only what's going to be happening in the future, but he does that to warn us. He does it to teach us. He does it to encourage us. He does it to prepare us. He does it so that we will f- stay focused, that no matter what is going on around us, that we won't lo- lose our focus, and he does it so that we will serve him. And the question is, how do you and I live in dark times? How do you and I live in the end times. Now, there's a lot of people that really feel uh, in the year 2014 that we are closer than ever, that Jesus Christ could come back at any time. But how does God call you and I to live during the end times? Peter said it this way in Second Peter. He says, everything will be destroyed. So what kind of people should you be? This is the word to you and me. You should live holy lives and serve God. We talked about in week one the doctrine of holiness, that God has called you and I to live differently when we get out these doors, when we go to the place of work, when we go to our schools, when we are in the neighborhood, uh, uh, when we rub shoulders with people, our lives should be different from the values and from the culture of this world, okay, which is opposed to God's ways. And so we are to live holy lives and not only live lives that 
that reflect God's word, but we're to serve God and continue to serve his ways. Now, when we're going to go back here, I want to take you to, uh, to the book of Daniel, the background of what's happening in this book. This story takes about 500 years before Christ comes onto the scene, and Nebuchadnezzar had, had marched down to, to Egypt and picked a fight with the Egyptians and, and trounced them, demolished them. And, and on his way back going north, he, he came into Jerusalem, into, into that area, and crushed them, uh, absolutely destroyed, destroyed the temple. There were many people that were killed. And then there were about between ten to 14,000 exiles that he brought with him up to northern Babylon. And there when he took the people right there, that, that group of 10,000, he took the best and brightest, the most educated, the people that were uh, well-off financially, the people that were good-looking. So they, they weren't dummies. They said, we're going to go ahead and bring the very best with us. And we know that Daniel... Uh, he came there at a very young age. It may have been in his late teen years or his early 20s. But we know that he not only was there for a long time, but he died in the land of Babylon. He lived through four kings. And he was amongst many different gods and idols were there. And Daniel and his friends, in the midst of this ungodliness, in the midst of all of these other idols and all of these gods, he had it inside of his heart. They made the determination, Daniel 1, 7 and 8, you know, that he was not going to defile himself. He was not going to become unclean. He says, you know what, we, we know that we're in a foreign land. This is not some, some place that they wanted to be, but they had to be there. And the Bible prophesied that, that, uh, that there was going to be a punishment that was coming upon Israel because for, for decades and, and for years they did not heed the prophet's warning and finally said they, they, they filled up their cup and now I'm going to go ahead and bring, bring my punishment upon this nation. And here they are, these godly men, and because of the sins of, of the leaders uh, and even the religious leaders, they found themselves in Babylon, but they wanted to serve God. They wanted to love God, and they said, we're not giving up on our relationship with God even though we're in a foreign land. So it was really tough circumstances, but, but they hung in there, and it was really tough. And I believe that you and I, you and I, we are living in a culture that is rapidly shifting away from God. The moral values and what is going on in our nation is, is really appalling. I, I shared last week that, that 70, over 70% of Americans feel like we are going in the wrong direction as a country morally, that we're, we're off, uh, that we've lost our focus, we've lost our center. And uh, and we're, and we're becoming, uh, and, and America's becoming more hostile to Christianity. Just this week, uh, I was reading a story at, at, and hearing a girl that, I think it was either in Tennessee or, or Kentucky, uh, she uh, received an in-school suspension. Uh, she heard a fellow classmate uh, sneeze. And when someone sneezes, what do we kind of automatically do? What do we say? Bless you. Well, the teacher took issue with that and said, you're not allowed to say that. I mean, she, she said, God bless you. You know, God bless you. 
and uh, and the teacher took issue with that, and she, and she and, and she respectfully said, you know, uh, she, you know, I have you know a constitutional right. I can go ahead and and say something like that. And and, and the teacher said, there's no God talk here in this classroom, and uh, and so uh, and, and and he sent her to the principal's office, and uh, and 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 the, and the administration. Uh, collaborated with the teacher, and she received an in-school suspension. I mean, was suspended for saying, God bless you, okay? And this is, this is the culture uh, that, that is beginning to happen. And uh, uh, there was another, uh, a bank teller, uh, just a sweet lady had been a bank teller for years and, uh, and, 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 and got to know her customers and, and was nice with them. And she was fired when she said this. Uh, and she would say this all the time, just as they were leaving, have a blessed day. And in uh, and, and, and the administration, the bosses and the leadership, they say, you're, you're not allowed to do that anymore. I mean, it's, we're, we're, we're not in that. And, that and, and she said, well, this is, this is who I am, and I'm just, I'm just extending a kindness to him. And she lost her job over that. And, and folks, we are living in, in an age where, where the spirit of the Antichrist, which hates God, is very real amongst us. In fact, our culture is really kind of described in Judges chapter 17, verse 6. It says, in those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And when it talked about Israel had no king, didn't have the leadership uh, to go ahead and guide the nation. And, and uh, I got a chance to listen to the message that Pastor Rob, in fact, if you didn't get a chance to hear this, uh, I so encourage you to hear the message that he preached before, I mean, it was the setup before the book of Daniel. Listen to that message. A nation and a leadership that does not acknowledge God, okay, is in trouble. We started off that way, folks. We acknowledge God. We, we dedicated our nation to God, and, and we have watched our leadership, okay, from the political side, I mean, really basically diss God. And uh, in those days, Israel had no king, okay? And all the people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And basically, when it was described, there was no standard. There was no absolute. There was no truth, okay? But what, can you, <coughs> excuse me, what's our standard, folks? What's our standard for, for truth? What is it? Right here. It's the Bible. The Bible says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Here's what's happening. The standard of truth, God's word right now, since the early 1900s in liberal universities, and it's just going, the word of God, the Bible has been viciously attacked to say it's filled with errors, it's mocked, it's ripped apart, and it says really basically there are no absolute Christianity is now outdated, old-fashioned, and irrelevant. And I believe this, as your pastor and as part of God's people, part of his church, and being a part of his family, I feel that your faith and your morals and your standards are going to be tested 
in a huge way. There, your faith it, it, and your convictions and your beliefs, uh, what you stand for, uh, as, 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 as it is getting darker here in, in 2014, and I don't, unless there is a major outpouring of God's Spirit and there's a great awakening and a, a great revival at, uh, that could happen, and we're praying that that would happen, but, but if it does not happen, uh, I, I am absolutely convinced that God's people are going to be coming uh, going through persecution like we've never seen it before, not in other countries because we know it's happening in other countries, but it's going to begin to really happen here in America, and it has already begun. My question to you is, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the hard times? Are you ready for that? And I feel as your pastor and going through this book right here, I believe that the book of Daniel gets us ready. I don't care uh, how well educated you are. I don't care how wealthy you are. Uh, it, it, it can happen to any of us. I mean, the persecution, uh, people losing their lives, people losing their jobs because they love Jesus. And the book of Daniel teaches us and shows us how we can survive and thrive spiritually in ungodliness, hostility, and darkness. And so today we're going to look at the greatest test. It's going to be the greatest test of your faith. And we're going to look at two stories. And many of you know these. For some of you, you've never heard these before. But they're found in, in Daniel chapter 3. If you were going there with me, Daniel chapter 3, okay. And we're going to go then to Daniel chapter 6 in a little while. And between Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6, it's separated by about 23 years. Here's what happens. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, Governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, Lear, the harps, pipes, and other musical instruments bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Here's what we know here in this chapter. Daniel's name is not recorded being at this event, but Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called to be at this event to go ahead and to bow down to this statue that was 90 feet tall. And the question is, how would these guys, these godly men, these Hebrews who love God, how would they react to this challenge? Now, it's something to live amongst idols, okay? They had absolutely no choice to live amongst the idols, but now it's notched up, okay? Not only are you going to live amongst the idols, now we are going to force you to go ahead and bow down to these idols and go ahead and worship these idols. And folks, we are literally in history, we are watching this happen right before our eyes, we have brothers, as I, as I was talking to you earlier in the service, and we were talking about the offering, we are watching what's happening to our brothers 
in, in Iraq right now, brothers and sisters who love Jesus, who are under intense persecution. I want you to watch a video about what's happening right now. civilians came racing towards the helicopter, uh, throwing their children on board the aircraft. Uh, the crew was just trying to pull up as many people as possible. Uh, a, a little baby, a red-headed baby, that ended up in my hands. It was chaotic. Uh, it, it was crazy. Uh, but we were able to then lift off with about 20 civilians. crowd on board the helicopter burst into tears, as did some of the Peshmerga fighters who were on board there trying to help them. Just the relief was palpable. I've been doing this job for more than 10 years. I have never seen a situation as desperate as this, as emotionally charged as this, and I've never seen uh, a rescue effort as ad hoc and as improvised as this. For those who were not following events over the last couple of weeks, uh, those 40,000 people are believers in our God, in our Jesus. And they were surrounded by a force which is called ISIS. These are extreme Muslims. And basically here it was the word, either you bow down to, to Allah, to, 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 to our brand of, of of what it means to worship Allah, if you don't do that, you lose your life. And these were people that said, we don't want to do that. And, uh, and, 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 and there has been literally a massacre that's been going on of, of brothers and sisters who have lost their life for Jesus and say, we're not going to go ahead and bow down. And I want to encourage you, as you see the reality of really what's going on, to keep our brothers and sisters there in prayer. I want you to notice the motivation behind the worship there. The motivation behind the worship is out of fear, not out of love. And that is exactly how the enemy works, the devil, which hates you and I. He wants us to go ahead and worship out of fear. And that is the goal of the enemy, is to get you and I away from true worship. So what do you and I do uh, when we will be forced maybe to compromise, when, you, when a boss asks you to go ahead and, and maybe to compromise and tell a lie to a, a, a customer so that you can have better sales or whatever it is, and, and, he's, and he's putting
putting pressure, what will you do when you're forced to compromise? Another story what was very familiar is found in chapter 6, okay? And this is where Daniel comes into the scene. Daniel uh, uh, is surviving a new king. Darius comes on to the scene. D- Darius was basically on the southeast of where Babylon was. And he was from, from the Medes, okay? And the Medes and the Persians, they came into Babylon and they conquered Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. But here, uh, Daniel was in a position of leadership and, uh, and Cyrus is now the new guy in charge. He's the head. And, and ironically, uh, uh, he had favor. Daniel had favor with Cyrus. In fact, Cyrus liked Daniel so much. In fact, he saw the talent and, and, and his gift uh, for administration and leadership that, that Cyrus says, I recognize that this guy is really a leader and he was going to promote him to be basically uh, the leader of the country. And he would give orders, and then, then Daniel would lead. And so Daniel's going to be in charge of others, and then all these other rulers uh, were very jealous of Daniel, and they plotted. And I want you to go with me to Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. Out of jealousy, it says, Finally, these men said, Okay, these were other fellow rulers. He says, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So here it is. These guys are conspiring with the plan to go ahead and put a law into effect that the only one that can be prayed to and worshipped, okay, for the next 30 days is Darius. And Darius hears the idea, and he says, you know what? It sounds pretty good to me. So he put a stamp right there, and once that stamp was put down, it was irrevocable. And the issue was right here, the issue was over worship, okay? Now, Here's what's happening here in America. Here's what's happening, what I believe, in the last days. Worship of God is under attack, okay? In the last days, the battle will not be for oil or lands or countries, but the issue in the last days is going to be over the issue of worship. In Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28 tells the story of an angel called Lucifer. Lucifer was, was the head angel in charge of worship. He was the choir director, the worship leader in heaven, okay? Did a great job, uh, and, 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 and he led the angels in the worship and the praises of God. But as he began to look at what God was receiving, he began to think to himself, he says, you know what, God's getting all this worship? He says, I would like to have some of that. And he makes this foolish, uh, this foolish comment, and, and five times he says, I will be praised, 
I will be lifted up, I will ascend. And, and he goes through all these, I will, I will, and, and it's all about himself. And he makes a horrible choice. And it talks about that he was thrust down out of heaven, and he landed, and he was cast to the earth. Now, I want to take you to a scripture, to Genesis chapter 1. Here we, he, had been a, he had been an angel. Now he is a fallen angel, okay, called the devil or Satan now. Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here in, in verse 1, and verse 2, many scholars believe this is when Satan was cast to the earth. Uh, believe it was basically the gap theory, and they believed that there was chaos going on. Then in verse 3, uh, God says, let's go ahead and let's, let's fix this. And God speaks and he says, let there be light. And he begins to speak these words, and the world begins to be formed. And God is putting things back in order. And God begins to create, and he creates man. He creates you, who has a unique distinction. Write this, this down. What is our unique distinct, distinction of his creation? We've been made in his image. What separates us from the rest of the world and from the animal world? It's we have been made in the image of God. And also, we have a unique assignment. Write this down. Our unique assignment is worship, okay? Now, heaven has no worship leader, okay? He's been cast to the earth, and worship has been transferred from him over to us. And I want you to understand one of the reasons why the enemy hates you so much. You and I have taken his place. And being that we have taken his place, he has absolutely focused on you and I to destroy that relationship. In Revel- Check this out. Let me, let me back this up. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We were created, okay? Listen, God created you and I to worship him. We were created to worship him. Psalm 150 says, Let everything that has breath praise the, word, praise the Lord. Listen, it is in our DNA to worship God. We've been made in his image. It's, it's in, our, in our DNA. When, when, when Christians, when, when, I mean, when they dial in and they really begin to, to worship the Lord... The enemy knows what happens because it's in worship that, that we become alive. It's, it's in worship that we truly begin to connect with our creator. And, we're, and, we're, and I don't know about you, but many lives have been deeply impacted by it. And Satan knows it, that when you get into worship, he, he knows what can happen in your life, the powerful effects that it can happen on your life. He wants to take away that impact that it will have on your life. Folks, listen to this. This whole thing started with worship, 
and it's going to end. When it comes down, it's going to end on worship, okay? It starts with worship right there. In Genesis, we've been created in his image, and we've been created to worship God. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about the, the, the last days. The Bible says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness lawlessness is revealed. Who is that man? That's the Antichrist is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So why here in this passage, why would it tell you and I about deception? The reason why the Bible talks about deception is there's going to be many people who will be deceived in the last days and they never knew that they were deceived. That is a very scary thing about deception. The question is, I want you to see this here on the screen. How will you and I know if we're in the truth or, we're, or we've been deceived? How do we know if we're really in the truth or we've been deceived? That is a question. We're going to go ahead and look at that here in a little while. We're going to get to that here in just a moment. But I want you to see two things that the spirit of the Antichrist is motivated to do. And by the way, the spirit of the Antichrist, whether the the Antichrist is here right now, we don't know. But the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and active right now. There's two things that he's motivated to do. Number one, to exalt man above God. He wants you to worship any, anything else but God. Go ahead and worship something else, but don't worship God. He wants to tempt you to find things and people that are worthy in your mind, worthy of worship, because he can't get it. He wants to go ahead and redirect your passion for Jesus, the cross, and your love for God towards other things. And that's why it's so important, as the Bible talks about in Corinthians, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Okay, he wants, I mean, we, we need to be taking a close look. How am I doing in my relationship with God? There are passions that can come along in our life. There are idols that can come along in our life, and we don't even recognize it, and we're not walking in a right relationship with God. So what did the Hebrews do when they were forced, okay? They're, they're going to be forced. You have to go ahead and bow down to this statue. I want you to go back with me to Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Let's look at how they responded to the pressure. It said in verse 16 that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. And by the way, he's hot. He's mad, okay? We don't need to defend ourselves before you. But, and if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. What a statement of faith. And he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I want you to notice two things here. They run into opposition. 
okay? They, they were subject to the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? They would listen to the things that they had to do, but there, there was a, there was a, there, when there was a line, they said, once you cross this line, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we're not going to go ahead. We're not going across that, that line. But I want you to notice how they address Nebuchadnezzar. They, they don't disrespect him. They recognize that he's the king. In fact, they call him respectfully, your majesty. They don't get all ugly. They're not in the face and they're not pointing their fingers or whatever and say, you know, you're just a wicked, you know, old man, whatever, and, and God's judgment is coming down upon you. No, they respond in a respectful way. And by the way, folks, as we live in the midst of darkness, people who do not know God, people who have been blinded by the enemy, cannot hear right now, who hate the message of the cross, who hate Christians or whatever. And, and I want to say the best way to respond to people that don't like Christians, don't like God, don't like the Bible, whatever, the best way to respond to them is in a very respectful and humble and loving way. The Bible says a gentle, uh, a gentle answer will break a bone. So opposition. So they, they go ahead and say, oh, king. But, we, but just in case, he says, you know what? Our God, the God that we serve, that's the awesome God that created the heavens and the earth, the God of gods, he says, listen, he can rescue us. But if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down to you. How many of you have made that decision? If the pressure was on, bow or lose your life, how many are ready to go ahead and say, you know what, I'm not bowing down. This is, this is something that we need to think about, we need to be praying about. So what would you do when you were threatened or threatened in that way? So the spirit of the Antichrist, okay, wants to exalt man above God. Number two, not only does he want to do that, but he wants to stop, literally stop the worship of God. Go with me now to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel hears the word, okay? And when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. I want you to underline that word, as usual. Daniel was a deep man of prayer. He went into his, as usual, in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. That's his hope. He says, I want to go back to my homeland. And it says he prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to his God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians. That cannot be revoked. And then they told the king, by the way, that man Daniel, the leader, the one that you're thinking of promoting, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring your law. And he still praised to his God three times a day. So what happened next, okay? He, he, he hears the word, Darius hears the word, of, uh, and he, he's reminded of the law that he signed. It cannot be revoked. It was absolutely impossible. Darius did not like it, okay? But yet he liked Daniel. And it says that evening that, that Darius uh, did not enjoy any pleasures and any enjoyment. In fact, he fasted from food. And Daniel was thrown into the lion's dead that evening. 
wakes up the next morning, Darius, and he comes over to where, where the, the entrance to where the, the lion's den was at, and he goes, Daniel, are you alive? And he said, yeah. He says, I'm just kind of taking a nap with the lions right now. I'm okay right now. Everything's good right here. And, and, and Darius was absolutely excited that, that Daniel survived the event. But I want you to see what happened as a result of their worship. I want you to see what happened as a result of Daniel's worship and not compromising. It talks about that, that those who had conspired against Daniel, uh, and, 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 and Darius got wind of that. He, those guys were thrown into the lion's den, and they were ripped apart. But I want you to look here in Daniel chapter 3, verse 30, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 28, it says, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. These guys had been thrown into the furnace. They said, we're not bowing. And in the midst of the heat, there was not even the smell of smoke on them. Not only did they survive, it was a supernatural event. They, were, they came out of that furnace, and, and, and the king right there, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, your God is the most awesome God of all. There's no question about it. He is the king of kings. He is, he is it. And, and so not only do they survive, but they're in a position now they're thriving. And then, then Daniel 6.28, not only does Daniel survive, it says Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So here he is. we got two guys not only surviving, but they're thriving. Now, will it always end that way? No. I wish I could tell you that. Uh, I wish I could tell. In fact, we, we know right now that through the centuries, the, from the early church, even to the present, that many uh, have not bowed down, have remained faithful, and to continue to worship God with all their heart and continue to lo- love him and lose their lives. But they gained eternal life. They're with Jesus. They're in a better place now. Folks, the ultimate battle in the last days is who and what are you going to worship? The ultimate battle in the last days is not who and what are you going to worship, but how are you going to worship? The greatest test of your love to God is will you stand, okay, no matter what comes your way? The question is, here, I want to go back to this question. How do you and I know if we're okay? How do we know if, 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 if we're living in the truth or we've been deceived? Here's what I want to kind of do here this morning. I want you and I are going to go through a worship checkup, check checklist here this morning. Can we do that? It's okay, we're going to go to the doctor here this morning. We're going to do a worship checkup here this morning, and uh, I want to take you to Jesus' standard. I, and this is what the test looks like. Okay, Jesus gives us the standard. In fact, the whole Bible points to this one command. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Okay, and it says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts." and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. We have it out there in the hallway together, extravagantly loving Jesus, together selflessly loving people. But Jesus said, this is, this is the checklist of, this is the worship test of, of whether you and I are in the faith, walking in truth, or we've been deceived. How do we do it? We love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, 
all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Okay, let me, let me kind of break this down just a little bit. Heart and soul. What does that mean? Heart and soul means your affections and your emotions. Here it is. Here's a question that goes towards this. Where are your strongest emotions going towards? I know men, you probably don't want to hear about that. But yes, we are emotional beings. Okay, not just ladies. Where are your strongest emotions going towards? Okay? On the screen, what do I love the most? What are you express, expressing your love for the most? Okay. Where, where, where are you expressing? And what are you expressing your love for the most? Okay. Praise and worship. Okay. For centuries. Okay. He, he, I mean, you could see it in church history. It's been toned down from what it originally was like. Uh, if you read the Psalms, uh, I, I so want to encourage you, uh, because as you go through the worship checklist, I want to encourage you to go through uh, another book over these next couple of months. I want you to read the book of Psalms. Uh, most of the Psalms, not all of them, were written by David. And uh, David was described as a man after God's own heart. But th- the words are there written with music that accompanies it. And David sings these to the Lord, okay? But when you see the songs, okay, what, 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 what is worship about? Ask the average person, what does the Bible say about worship? And they say reverence, quiet, having your head down, okay? Just this kind of solemnness, kind of like, yeah, that's, that's worship, but when you look in the Bible, what does the Bible say about worship? Okay, what, what does it describe it? It talks about lifting hands, clapping hands, shouting unto the Lord. It, it, it's celebrating. It's even dancing unto the Lord. This is, it, it, it's a celebration. It, in fact, at times, it even, we might even describe it, it looks like a sports event. I want you to notice something right here. I, look at the crowd. Look at the response. What did you see happening? People clapping their hands, okay, cheering. What, was it quiet, by the way? Anybody see anything? Was it, was it kind of quiet? Okay, how many think, how many were, how many introverts were in the crowd? How many quiet, how many people that maybe that, you know, they're just, they're kind of to themselves. I wonder how many, from different personalities, how many, how many people were outgoing, whatever. But what I notice behind us, everyone here, uh, after this fantastic golf shot, okay, are, are celebrating and, uh, and cheering for something really that didn't do anything for them personally. 
Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. But they, but they, but they're, they're, they're just kind of like they're, they're wowed by this fantastic shot. Okay. Now, uh, can I just tell you? This is kind of, this is a little bit kind of like what worship is about. It, it's about celebrating what He has done for us, His goodness. Uh, it's. Uh, he, he's the only one. I mean, he, how many know that he's done a lot of things for us? And we, we, we not only give thanks and praise to him for what he's done for us, but for who he is. Here's what I want to say. God doesn't mind us having passions, enjoyments, okay? Uh, and, but he does mind when these passions supersede the Savior, okay? Okay. Uh, Everybody here in this room has a passion, something that they really enjoy. It may be gardening, it may be shopping, it may be hunting, it may be uh, it may be Gators football or whatever that, and, and it, it, it is coming, whatever. And I want to say that there is nothing that is wrong with with enjoying some of, of those things, but when those passions overtake our love for Jesus. So we love God with our, with our hearts, okay? And then it says, he says, love God with your mind. This means your attention. Attention. Here's the question that goes with this. What do I think about the most? We're doing a worship checkup. What do I think about the most? Where do my emotions go? What do I think about? What do you think about most, okay? What you think about most may be an indication of who you are and what you worship. Now, I understand you're at work and, and you have a job to do. I understand if you have a family, you're taking care of your kids, you're focused, you're dialed in, and, and nothing wrong with that, okay? But really, what do you think about the most? What really captures your heart, and then on the screen talks about your strength. This means your abilities. I would, I would address this this way. What are you doing for God right now? What have you, have you been doing for God recently? I believe this. It's okay to put your energy into your car to make it look great, to look shiny and clean and all that. I believe it's fine to go ahead and put energy into your lawn, into your landscaping, your house, into hunting, uh, the inside of the house, decorating all of those things. But, but are you putting any kind of energy into God's kingdom, into his church, and serving him in that way? So the question on the screen is, what do I do the most? So, here's what I want you to do. How did you score? And where is God on the list? Does, here, here's the question, the really question. Is God getting my best? Is God getting my best? That's part of what tithing is about. We give him the first fruit. We, we give him our best. Now, here's what I, I want you to look here. The end time worship test. Here it is. Who will you not worship? Who will, who will you and I cheer for? Who will I worship? In Second Chronicles 16.9 says this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. God is looking right now. He's looking across the earth. He's looking to see those who are committed to Him no matter what. So who will you not worship? I'm not going to worship the enemy, but 
Who will you worship is the second question during the end times. The most significant statement, I believe, in the Bible on worship was said about Jesus. Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 4, verse 23. And I think about this verse um, a lot. Personally, in my own life, this is something that I'm thinking about. And it's here. It says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So the question I have to ask myself uh, is this. Am I a true worshiper of God? The question is, how do I, if I, if I, I know I'm in the truth and I've not been deceived, it's where is your worship going towards? If you put Jesus there at the top, I want to tell you something, you're not walking in deception. But if Jesus is just maybe a part of it. Maybe you're just the Sunday morning worshiper, okay? The rest of the week, you're just kind of doing your own thing. You're doing your own life, you know? And then you come up, everybody, no, he's not the passion of your life. He wants to be number one every single day. I want to read to you something, an email that I received. Um, I get it on a daily basis, five days a week. And... Um, I find myself these last couple of years, probably these last two or three years, in uh, 36 years that I've been a Christian in these last two to three years, I find myself praying for, for the church, especially for a group of people that are going through persecution, that are facing violence, that are facing tough decisions. And I find myself praying for them. God, give them strength that they won't fold, that they won't, they won't cash into chips, they, they won't give up, that they won't bow. And, 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 uh, and, and I read this story. It comes from Open Doors. And, uh, and, and the book was called Standing Strong Through the Storm. And the author tells the story of a Chinese believer and this is what the believer had, had this was a, a mantra, mantra of his life. And he said this, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Brother Zhang, a young medical doctor and preacher in Zhang, China, refused to join the government three self-patriotic church, was preaching false doctrine. So I'm not going to be a part of that. says he was arrested and spent 18 years in prison eating poor food, being beaten, drowning in the stench of cellmates. He shares this testimony. Quote, The 18 years were a tremendous spiritual challenge, which brought great blessings I never before thought possible in my life. Prison officials ordered me to empty the camp night soil pits, the prisoner's cesspool, While I had little experience of physical labor, its hardship and suffering did not frighten me. Although most of the other prisoners dreaded night soil 
pit duty as the most difficult task in prison, I accepted this assignment without complaint. The pit store, all the human excrement, both liquid and solid, from the entire camp. Once the pit was full, its human waste steeped up until its foul contents were ripe enough to be used as fertilizer. Not only did I walk into this disease-ridden mess to remove it, but I had to breathe its stench as I scooped away each successive layer and dropped hundreds of shovel loads into collection buckets for others to carry to the fields. The night soil's pit pungent odors lingered with the digger at least three days, literally surrounding him with an almost maddening stench. All the guards and other prisoners avoided the night soil pit digger to escape being overcome by the lingering odor. One reason I could enjoy, listen to this, here it is. God's looking for worshipers. One reason I could enjoy the working in the night soil pit was the solitude. I was by myself, surrounded only by foul air and human waste. I could sing music of praise to God as loudly as I wanted, and the guards were never close enough to to protest this otherwise objectionable behavior. One of my favorite songs during those days was In the Garden, the hymn. My Chinese night soil pit was hardly the garden that the composer of the hymn had in mind, but God delivered great happiness to me to be able to sing his praises in such earthly misery. God is looking for worshipers. Even in the midst of a pit, even in the midst of a, of a life where life is not making sense, when life is going, throwing you curveballs, when life is trying to crush you, God is calling you and I to go ahead and praise him in whatever season may be coming our way. The test is here today. Am I a worshiper of Jesus? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. and I don't know how you did on your on your worship checkup list and I have to be honest with you there were some things that got my attention I said Lord forgive me and I want to pray that not only myself not only will we be passionate but we will be consistent that the thought of Jesus and his praises will be on my lips all day long. All day long, I'll be checking in and out with him as I'm going through life's busyness and challenges. I'm checking in with him, worshiping him with all my heart, all my soul, my mind, my strength. But if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you here this morning, you say, Pastor, man, I... I read that story that I just hear about that Chinese brother. I hear about what Jesus had to say about true worship. 
heart, mind, soul, and strength, I find myself, man, I, I, I'm not sure, man, I, I, I'm passing the test. I think maybe there's some things right now that really are in the way, and I don't know what those things are, but I would encourage you right now to, to make some adjustments. The Bible calls that repentance. It, there may be something it, in and of itself. It may not be morally wrong. It may be totally fine or right, but you have elevated it to a status of you've made it an idol in your life. And God is saying, I need you to get rid of that right now. This is in your way. And, and I want you to put me number one in your life. And, and you need to make that adjustment maybe today. And I want to encourage you to take that step and, and to pray and say, Lord, not only forgive me, but God, change me in my heart, Lord. This, the, Lord, you deserve the best. And I want to give you my very best. So for those who are here this morning, I have my hands here lifted here today. Would you just lift them and, and say, Lord, I, I want to worship you, Lord, with everything I've got, not just at this moment, but for the rest of my life. And, Lord, we lift our hands to you, God. And, Lord, we, we say, God, forgive us, Lord, of any idols, Lord, that are in our life. And, God, not only would you forgive us, but, God, we pray that you would be absolutely number one, Lord, that we would love you, Lord, with all of our heart, our mind, our our soul and our strength, God, that you would have the very best, Lord, of our lives. God, we give you the best of our energy, the best of our our time, the best of our resources, the best of our thoughts, Lord God, the best of our praise, God. Father, may it rise to heaven, Lord. And God, may we be the worshipers, God, that you are seeking. True worshipers, Lord, who worship you in spirit and truth. Would you stand to your feet here with me here this morning? And Lord, I'm asking in Jesus' name, God, as we get ready for the next service, Lord, and people are going to get baptized, Lord, and God are making a public declaration of their faith in you, Lord. Father, we, we declare, God, as we go God, back to our homes, to our neighborhoods, God, to our places of work, to other relatives, God, Lord, we're not bowing down. But, Lord, you would give us the strength, God, not only to stand up, but, God, to lovingly, Lord, just give the praises to you. God, use our lives this week to be a testimony of your love. God, I pray your blessing upon each believer here today. I ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day, Calvary.